Hey friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. We're in a series called Jesus People. If you haven't been following us along, we are doing a series Uh, around discipleship to Jesus Christ. We want to look like Jesus in the world. We don't want to just talk like him. We want to embody his mindset, his worldview, his narratives about how the world works. We want to reimagine the world based on his imagination and, and, and dreams for our life. We also want to take on his lifestyle habits. We believe that discipleship today is is the same as it was in the first century, that to be a disciple means you learn to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. But let me say something as we frame our discipleship series. I've seen a lot, we've done a lot of discipleship series in the past. I've seen a lot. Most of it is a self-project. Discipleship is not a self-project. What we've done today is we've uh, kind of integrated discipleship through the lens of this self-help world in the church, where we see discipleship as making my life better. Jesus doesn't come to make your life better. Can we, um, it's all good, amen. That wasn't amen. He doesn't come to make it better. He doesn't come to make it easier. In fact, if you follow Jesus, I'm going to tell you right now, your life's probably going to get harder, especially in this cultural moment where the values and the convictions of Jesus might not mix well with cultural values. In fact, if you follow Jesus in the scriptures, which this whole series is based on the scripture, you will see that actually the cost of discipleship is everything. He will say, die to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you don't love me and hate everyone else, that's literally kind of what he says. Um, Literally, kind of, that's a thing. Um, You're not worthy of being my disciple. He requires you to be all in. Now, are are you guys okay with that? So that's where we're moving. That's our our vision. We want to become like Jesus. And In the past and in much of the teachings today, most of discipleship is about learning to be with him through practices and become like him in character. And we fail to recognize the call on our life is to also do the things that Jesus did. All of the things that Jesus did. And all the things that Jesus did in spite of your personality. Some of you, I really like behind the scenes, you know, like I'm, I'm a... ISTJ, uh, and I, I took one of those tests, and I'm a helper um, test, you know, and I don't need to share my faith out loud publicly. I don't have that equipment or gifting quite yet, or I, I'm an extrovert. I don't need to do solitude. What we tend to do is we take our personalities, and we make it convenient to follow Jesus. We take the self-help word, world, and we integrate spirituality to make us better. Jesus wants to make you alive. He wants to transform your life so that you're a mini mobile temple of God. So that no longer do you go to a space on earth like a, a physical temple to meet with God. You walk around as that space where heaven and earth meet 
and are married together because you've been baptized in his Holy Spirit, because you've learned to die to yourself and you bring about his life wherever you go, as you go, as you are. I'm not saying become a cookie cutter I'm, uh, of some model. I'm saying you become the only you that's ever existed in human history and God wants to anoint that you. Are you guys awake? There's a, di- there's a difference between 9 and, eight, nine and 11. I'm just going to say, and I'm going to pull it out of you. I know some of you come from churches where you're like, wow, all this feedback. I'm not sure how I feel about this. This makes me nervous. I love the feedback. I love the amens and hallelujahs. That's, I'm just creating my own culture. I think I belong in another place, maybe in the South, you know, where there's a little less fear of man. <laughs> Southern California. Got to act like we all have it figured out. This is all intro, by the way. So I'm going to pray now. As I pray, can we just turn the phones on silent, do not disturb? For my sake, if you just blessed your pastor, be like, all right, I'm going to listen to you this one time. (laughs) Silence my phone. Father, would you release great expectation for what's possible? As we surrender fully to your vision of discipleship, I pray for courage to do the Jesus stuff. That we would be um, open to what you want to do and how you want to do it through us. I pray for my brothers and sisters that need healing today. That you would heal their bodies. That you would heal their hearts. That you would heal their minds that you would heal their trauma from their past and the way their past influences every moment of their present. I pray you would heal their relational wounds and bring restoration today to the relational spaces in their life. And I pray for spiritual shalom where, they, where our, our church becomes deeply connected to the Holy Spirit and to you, Jesus, and to you, the Father that we would have a Trinitarian perspective of our God that permeates in our souls so that we know we're never alone and we're always joining, joining into the divine dance of Father, Son, Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe that's all I needed to do is just pray. Anytime I teach on healing, it's one of those sermons where I'm like, I can't, do it, Jesus. Because <laughs> I, I don't like talking about a subject um, that requires God to show up in an obvious way. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about a ministry you are all called into as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're free. You're good. Just hang out. Coffee's on the side. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is an invitation I'm going to talk about the healing ministry of Jesus. I'm going to talk about why we don't see it so often today and the challenges for it. And then I'm going to give you a practical steps on how to pray for healing every day. Okay? Sound good? All right. So let's begin with the, the expectation from Jesus. He says this in John chapter 14. He says in verse 12, and you should go there in your Bibles. Um, I just want you to see what Jesus says to his d- disciples. And then this will be true for everyone who follows him. He says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. 
And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. This is one verse, John chapter 14, verse 12. You should highlight this. Now, in John's gospel, the entire book of John, the gospel of John, is for you as a disciple to believe in the one whom God sent in Jesus. It's, it comes from John chapter 6. This is the, the essence. It's to believe in Jesus. Now that word belief, we've talked about here, a better word to translate the word believe, because we want to make it intellectual in our Western context, is actually uh, to trust in the one. Trust in Jesus. It's to, and it's actually, a better translation is to be trusting in. It's an active verb, it, to place your trust and well-being in Jesus. And the Frederick Dale Bruner, the, the great New Testament scholar in his translation and his big commentary on the book of John says, actually, a better modern translation of the word believe is relaxing in. The entire purpose of the gospel of John is for disciples to learn to relax in Jesus. And now with that dynamic verb, with that idea of relaxing, your life now being entrusted to Jesus, Jesus says, when you do that, if you do that, then, put that verse back up, you will do the things he has been doing. How many of you know Jesus did a lot of things in his three and a half years of ministry? Anyone know? At this point in the book of John, I've shared this before. Jesus turned water into wine. He healed blind people. He casted out demons. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He, uh, he, oh, he raised a dead dude. And, um, <laughs> and the reason I say that is because those are the works he had been doing. Because scholars will debate, oh, what, what does it mean greater things? Something it means more quantity. There's more of us, therefore there'll be more miracles because we're doing more of the thing. More of us are doing the things that Jesus did. Others think it's qualitative, like a greater qualitative miracle, but at, at the very minimum, the least common denominator is if you believe in Jesus, you will do at least what he did, which includes raising the dead. How are we doing, church? So that's where we start. As disciples, we start with the framework that Jesus invites you to do the Jesus stuff. I want to invite you to do the Jesus stuff. So in this series, we're doing the theology, the mindset, the, um, the ministry of Jesus. We're talking about that. We're talking about the lifestyle, habits, and practices, like silence and solitude. Next week, we'll be fasting. And we're like, yes. Um, and we're talking about characteristics like being uh, patient. We'll talk about holiness. We'll talk about compassion. We'll talk about joy. Um, and we're kind of integrating this series so you see that it's not just the philosophy or ministry, but you're called to be a part of what he was doing and what he's doing. So Jesus today um, invites you to do the, the things he did. And we do the things that Jesus did the same way Jesus did the Jesus stuff through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We see, and I don't have time to go into this right now. We've talked about it a lot, but Jesus' ministry didn't begin until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And once he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes into the uh, 40 days of fasting and silence in solitude where he's tested by the enemy, Satan. He comes back, and in Luke's gospel, he comes back being led by the Spirit, and he comes back in the power of the Spirit. And it's in the power of the Spirit that he does what he does. And the gospel writers want you to know that because when we get to the book of Acts, we see that the church does the things that Jesus did. 
How? Through the same way Jesus did them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we awake? Let's go. I love the theology. So let's look at the ministry of Jesus, the Jesus stuff. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to frame it with some biblical text so you can see the overwhelming evidence for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You do not have to agree with me. Read scripture for yourself. Read commentaries. What does it mean to be a disciple? There's no category for the kind of Christian we have today in the New Testament. The idea of you just attending a service and then living your merry life the way you want to is not a biblical concept. The only concept is discipleship. So based on that understanding, to be a disciple is not just to know what Jesus knew or what the rabbi knew, not just spend time with him, but to do the things the rabbi did and become like him in character and disposition. That's our vision. So Matthew chapter eight, looking at the ministry of Jesus, verse 16, when evening came, Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fill what was spoken throughout the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. I just want to make the point over and over again, and I can pull out so many scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and so many in the synoptic gospels. Maybe you've heard that word. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They share a common theme, a, a source, if you will, of eyewitness. There's so many accounts of Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17, I just want you to see this verse. Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it's the second part of the verse. It says something very simple. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Were there moments in Jesus' ministry where he didn't have the power to heal the sick? Yes. There were moments where this, the town he would go to, like his hometown, didn't honor him. And their lack of honor disempowered the miracles Jesus saw in other places that honored him. It says he was only to heal a couple sick people. It, like Read that passage later this week. Where, where he goes to his hometown and he's not honored. And our lack of honoring the presence of God disempowers the ministry of Jesus. That's true for your life, by the way. When you choose not to honor the ministry of Jesus, you will see less of his ministry in your life. Last week in the second service, do you remember the testimony that Mark gave? In the second service, I was like, there's something stirring during his testimony. I got up and I said, hey, we just heard a testimony of Jesus. And the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And there's freedom for some of you that are carrying in Mark's struggles that he's bringing victory today in, the, in sharing the testimony of Jesus. And there was a response to standing in that moment for healing, for depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. And then the second service in response, it went for an hour. We had a three-hour 11 o'clock service on Sunday. God, the people, you, the church, our church was so hungry for God that we just kept going. It was about 150 people stayed and we saw God, people crying out to Jesus. We saw repentance. It was amazing. And I think it was connected to the testimony of Jesus being honored. That's, that's all freebie. That's not in the notes. Um, 20%, 20% of Luke's gospel are stories of healing. If you were to summarize the ministry of Jesus, it's three things according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing the sick, and casting out demons. 
Luke chapter 9, it says, um, so, so that's the ministry of Jesus. So you see, as Jesus forms a band of, of brothers, his disciples, to continue on his ministry, he will give them authority to do what he did. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse six, so they, they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Later in that story, they come back saying, everything that you did, Jesus, we did. It was Jesus who in his sovereign grace and his mission of restoration of all things empowers his followers to carry on his ministry. This is just the expectation. I can show you so many passages. I'm just anchoring this text so you see it. Why don't we look at James? I'm going to give you one more story of the New Testament. Here's James, the half-brother of Jesus. Good old camel knees, if you were here in our series. His nickname was Old Camel Knees because his knees were callous from praying on his knees to the Lord. He was the, lead, the first leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was, he was the half-brother of Jesus, and he, um, he, had, he was known as the man of prayer. He says this in James chapter 5. Before I read it, I just want to share this. I want you to imagine if this was your expectation of, of church today. Like you come in here and you have, an ex, you have a contract with me. Not, maybe not me, but with this vibe or this church, this community, you carry a contract of what church should be like. You know, like some of you, you have a hard time with 35 minutes of worship. The contract in your mind's 15 minutes. Everywhere else you go is like an hour church service. All my friends, most of my friends planting churches, they do like an hour and 15 minutes, in and out. You know, I'm like, man, I think I, sometimes I preach for an hour. And I, that's great. Some places can do that. We're going after something unique in our church right now. We just have a desire to do something, not because we're trying to be different, we're trying to be obedient to what God's doing. You carry a contract. Should be parking, there should be kids ministry. We should have AC figured out in the hot days. We should have cold iced coffee in the summer days. Am I right? Like there should be a place uh, uh, for, for me to go... Um, during the week, like we, we create all these, there should, there should be a website, the pastor should be funny. Um, the sermons should really only be 35 minutes in your mind and they should be a bit of a TED talk with a little bit of conviction and a lot of humor. Um, <laughs> like we have these expectations of what it means to be church. We have these expectations, we all do. Here's some of the expectations the apostle James has. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you have this kind of expectation of the New Testament church? Yeah, we got worship. We're going to take communion, receive communion as a family. We're going to hear a sermon preached. But do you have the expectation that this is where you see the extension of forgiveness because we confess here? Or is this the place where you come knowing healing is present? Because that's the anointing. We are the only institution ordained by God with the power to heal the sick supernaturally. Have you thought about that? 
I'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit. I'm just passionate about that. What are your expectations? What are your expectations of this Christian life? I grew up cessationist. That's a, a, a theological word for believing that the Holy Spirit and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit died out when the apostles in the New Testament died. They, there's one passage in 1 Corinthians that says when the perfect comes and cessationists believe that the perfect is the canonization of the scripture when that was formal and finalized during the canonical process in the early 300 AD, 400 AD, they, um, they said the gifts were done. Now, I believe that because it fit my experience. I, I didn't go to a church that practiced healing the sick. They, if, they, if there was somebody who was really sick, eventually the elder, last minute effort, the Hail Mary pass, we went to the, you know, we did this at the elder's home and they anointed them with oil. But their prayers were usually like, Lord, if it's your will, there was no sense of contending for the will of God. No sense of actually the, the prayer that is given to us by Jesus is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There was no sense, sense of urgency behind the people of God partnering with God in prayer to do God's dream and will on earth. So I didn't have a theology that fit my experience. But later when I went to Vanguard, I met a guy named Pastor Bill Doctorum. And I studied a, from an Assemblies of God school with all amazing theologians that taught me a biblical view of the gifts of the Spirit. Also, not just biblical, but a historical view of the Holy Spirit that you might not believe out of the scripture there are stories, but actually we have 2,000 years of rich history of miracles and healings and signs and wonders that are, that are dating back from the beginning to this era. So I had a theology that didn't fit my, that didn't fit my experience. So first it was a theology that fit my experience. Then it was a belief system that I never saw until I went to London and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I began to see prophecy in tongues. And I began to see healing. I began to see God move. And then we started our church with this intention that we be a church that sees the Jesus stuff. That partners with God in the Jesus stuff. Amen. Not for warm fuzzies on Sunday, but to equip the saints for ministry Monday through Saturday. That's the purpose of this gathering is to equip you for the rest of the ministry God has for you. This is our, this is our let me fill up your, watering, your water cans and let me give you some, some resource so that you can go encourage and in faith to do the Jesus stuff. I feel like I'm a general giving orders right now. And then in 2010, we started our church in 2009. 2010, we started doing something called ministry time. And if you were here in 2010, it was awkward you did not want to come to our church we would do like church not as well as we do it now not at all sermons were awkward if everything was awkward and then I would end the sermon like you know I have a word I think come forward and there would nobody would come forward I kid you not there's some of us that were here in the beginning nobody came forward and then eventually like one person came forward but then that person came forward for everything so I'm like did the first one count like, what's going on? I'm like, oh. I'm like, no. But we started seeing things, things. We started seeing healing. We started seeing God move and transform lives. It was sporadic and I, I would lose courage because it takes, it takes a lot of risk to go for healing. We'll talk about that in one second. I'm just giving you stories so you can hear where we go from here. Um, 
And then 2014, there, uh, we, were, we were making commitments to pray on the streets. And we had a, a community groups at the time or life groups. We've had all the different groups. Um, yeah. <laughs> change is the only constant in our church um, other than Jesus, of course. But uh, we, we were at this, uh, we were doing lo- uh, laundry love in downtown Long Beach where we would take laundry hostage for two hours and then evangelize the people on the laundromat. They just didn't see it coming. No, that's not what we do. We provided free laundry for a low-income neighborhood and then we would just bring pizza and coffee and hang out and talk about Jesus and invite people to come to church. And, and it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. I was discipling some young guys in the faith and they were meeting with this one woman and she was an angry atheist. And she found out I was a pastor. And as soon as I walked up, she was like, I don't want to have anything to do with the church. I'm like, okay, cool. But she's like, thanks for the free laundry. And I'm like, well, can we just pray for you? And these guys pray. And as we're praying, I have this thought in my head, something happened to her when she was young that nobody believed and it ruined her life. Now, this story marked my soul so much because of how simple it was. It was just like me praying and I had this idea. And I don't know if it's me, the pizza I just ate, or if it's the Holy Spirit. Because Every inch of growing in the power of the Spirit requires risk of falling flat on your face. Falling fat. (laughs) I don't think that's the risk. So we get done praying and I say, hey, I have a weird thought. It's super weird. But I have this thought in my head and I begin to share this word and she starts crying. She's like, how did you know? Angry. Like, I didn't know, and this is where I know there's a God, because my response in the moment was so quick, and I am not that good. <laughs> I said to her, I didn't know, but Jesus knew, and he wants a relationship with you. And in that laundromat, this angry atheist gave her life to Jesus and came to our church. Now, I have lots of those stories. That was the beginning. In 2015, I, I shared this story of going, I was practicing sharing words of knowledge wherever I went. I was in the grocery store. I shared a word of knowledge. I missed it big time. Went to a pregnant lady and I was like, hey, I, have a f- I had this sense that you're afraid of being a mom and God's going to restore all this stuff and your mom, blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know, her mom comes around the corner. That word was clearly wrong. She's in great relationship with her mom. This is her fifth kid and she, didn't, she was not afraid of being a mom. I like threw the stuff and I'm like, I'm out of here. I left... I texted my wife. She had Ezra. I'm like, babe, I can't go. I got this wrong. Meet me back at home. Like, <laughs> but, but so I got it wrong. I have so many of those stories in this church and outside. I've taken so many risks because there are ones that I've gotten right and it's changed lives. They meet Jesus. There's this other story the same day that I got that wrong. Eddie, who I didn't know is his name, a UPS driver knocks on the door. I've shared this story so many times. 2015, it was a game changer for me. Got all these bandages and um, braces on his knees and arms. And my rule was with some of my friends in our accountability group, we weren't just doing accountability at that time because we had to confess sins. We were holding each other accountable to the kingdom life, meaning we had to pray for the sick. So we, we have all these stories during that season of going after the things of God. And I told, uh, I told them if I saw bandages, broken bones, wheelchairs, I would pray for them. And so it was real fun. But I was super down after getting it wrong. Anyone know what I mean? You're like, you take a risk and you, you just, it went, it blew, it like, ah, help. like it was bad. And, and, and what happened was Eddie knocks on the door and I'm like, ah, oh, what happened? He's like, I'm going to go on disability. I can't keep go- doing my UPS driving thing. And I got all this pain in my joints. And 
like, oh, okay, um, can I pray for you? And I have the door like barely open. He's like, yeah, I would love prayer. I'm like, okay, I don't touch him. I just say, Jesus, heal my brother in the name of Jesus, amen. Close the door. That was it. It was like that much faith. About a month later, Eddie walks into our church office. Darren, he comes running to me. No bandages, nothing. Your prayer healed me. I'm like, what prayer? I've started going back to church. I've seen him multiple times. Now, recently, before we moved into this building, I saw him again. This is in 2015. He's like, I can't believe how much that one encounter with God changed my life. He went back to church, started pursuing his wife again. They served together at the church. They served in the youth ministry like they live in Diamond Bar. All these things happened because of a half-hearted prayer. And that set me on a journey. And since in my life, in our church, we have seen so many stories of God's miraculous power demonstrated through ordinary people. It's not the special, it's for everyone. The ministry of Jesus is available for all of the church. You just gotta go after it. The healing ministry of Jesus is the restoration of God's creation back to its intended purpose. It's the restoration of the physical, the mental, the relational, the emotional, and the spiritual person. Why did Jesus spend so much time healing? Here's what N.T. Wright says. When Jesus healed people, he intended it to be clear that this wasn't just a foretaste of a future reality. This was reality itself. This was what it looked like when God was in charge. God's kingdom was coming as he taught his followers to pray on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on to say, justice and peace are about putting things right in the world. But from whatever angle you look at Jesus, he was concerned not just with outward structures, but with realities that would involve the entire person and the entire community. No point putting the entire world right if the people are still broken. So broken people will be healed. Healing was and is the primary marker of the kingdom of God breaking in on earth as it is in heaven. The healing ministry of Jesus is God's way of life being experienced in and around the person of Jesus. So Jesus will forgive sins. He'll cast out demons. He'll heal broken bodies. He'll restore those who feel like outcasts. He restores the entire person. And this was the ministry of Jesus. It's why people are so drawn to him. Then he writes, says, crowds came because of healing, not just because of his message, but because Jesus was where the embodiment of God's way was experienced for all people. Now, so here's a question. If healing was such a large part of Jesus' ministry, why don't we see or expect, it, expect this within the ministry of the church today? A couple of ideas that I have. Number one, secularism in the Western worldview. We live in Southern California. We have a secular worldview, a materialistic worldview that denies the existence of any significant spiritual or supernatural experience in the church. Let me just say, I think the church is more secular and materialistic in the worldview than the world today. I used to say this a few years ago. I don't agree with this idea that the culture is more, uh, is, is more into materialism than the church. The church is. Everywhere I go, the church is opposed to the ministry of Jesus. They, it's true. Why? I was at the gym this week and I had a guy talking to me about Burning Man that he went to, uh, uh, portals that he went through, um, and ayahuasca, supernatural experience he's had, asking me questions as a pastor. What am I saying? The world is more open to dimensions and universal portals 
then the church is open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. I can talk about Marvel comics and talk about, you know, uh, uh, Doctor Strange and, and uh, the, the witch movie that came out and how people are healing their trauma through the supernatural. Like the church is the place that has the rights, if not the mandate to heal the sick, to bring spiritual healing. We should be of all places, a portal to you secular or the cultural world of heaven on earth. That is what we're called to be. But in our, in our way of, of ministering, in our context, we've adopted the Western church, the Western philosophies of enlightenment and scientific rationalistic thinking. I love what um, Charles Kraft says. He says, it is interesting and discouraging to know that even though we are Christians, our basic assumptions are usually more like those of the non-Christian Westerner around us than we would like to admit, even though there's a wide discrepancy between the teachings of Scripture and the, the common Western assumptions, we often find ourselves more Western than scriptural. Western societies pass through Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, and a wide varieties of ripples and spin-offs from the movements. The result, God and the church were dethroned and the human mind came to be seen as Savior. We don't see it because we don't realize how much cultures influence our expectations. The second problem is the consumer Christianity and our failure to make disciples in the church. We have made converts, not disciples. We have made converts just say a simple prayer and keep on living your merry life. We haven't discipled them into the way of the kingdom of God, which requires you to practice the ministry of Jesus. And so in our presentation as the church that many of us have grown up in, Jesus is made in the image of Southern California. He is convenient, easy, made to make you happy and meet your spiritual consumer needs. Discipleship is reduced to a loose affiliation and Jesus is reduced to an accessory or an activity once a week. We have not created a culture that empowers the life of heaven on earth. Instead, we have accelerated a lukewarm spirituality that we are promised in Revelation will be spit out of God's mouth. <sighs> John Wimber said, we see according to our expectations. Many times our expectations come from conditioning. We are taught to expect certain things in the Christian life and miss what God is doing if he acts outside of our expectations. You have an expectation of what it's supposed to be like and you miss God when he acts outside of that expectation. So the question again is, do you have a biblical expectation of Christian life? The third reason that I would argue is something we talked about last two weeks, busyness. Your busyness keeps you from the ministry of Jesus. Your self-obsession with your own stuff keeps you from being part of Jesus' stuff. When you walk around into, going into a room of new people wondering if you have what it takes and wondering if you're going to measure up and if you're insecure, don't know that you're a royal priest coming with the resources of heaven to change the environment in the name of Jesus. You don't walk around going, maybe healing wants to happen in the Starbucks today. Maybe healing needs to happen in this room full of coworkers because this person's really struggling with depression and I need to show him that Jesus lives through the way I, I testify of the stories of healing in the community around me with the expectation that God will meet me when I open my mouth. Do you have that kind of faith? Because that's what we're going after. 
It's a little different than, Lord, bless my job today. Let me make lots of money. Bless my dreams. Not, Lord, what is your dream for my day? How, man, this has got some heat. I feel it. Whew, 9 a.m. Let's get the AC down a little bit right now. Jesus, do you ever notice how interruptible Jesus was? So healing in the New Testament is a byproduct of Jesus' presence. So just think about this. You're called to carry the presence of God. This is all in the New Testament. This is Paul as a Pharisee working out the theology of the temple from Genesis to Malachi and in his own life recognizing what, what Jesus, who is now the incarnate Yahweh in his Pharisaic, in his mind of Judaism, and the temple is no longer a place. Israel is no longer a people in a place. Israel is now the walking mobile followers of Jesus that have been baptized, immersed, indwelled, uh, they're, they're indwelling this presence of God. And so now you carrying the presence of God as a byproduct should see the ministry of Jesus. There'll be innocent bystanders. Bystanders. They'll be standing, not expecting God to manifest himself in line at Knott's Berry Farm or wherever you go on your Saturdays. That's the last two days, last two weeks. Kids, for me. And you might have an encouraging word that breaks down the discouragement and the negativity and the self-hate that a person's carrying and you just happen to be there and your heart is open to the possibility that God wants to use you and you speak what might be like a random thought but a life-giving moment of manna for this person to pursue God. That's what you're called to be. That is, by the way, the healing ministry of Jesus. It's not, I just want you, it's not just physical. We'll talk about that. It's all the person. But most of the healings in the New Testament were the result of an interruption. If you look, here's a list of some of the ones that I just went through. I didn't like do a whole study on it. I just, I wanted to drop. Demon-possessed man in the synagogue, dinner at Simon Peter's mother-in-law house, the leper, the paralyzed man. The inter he's interrupted uh, by the Pharisees at the dinner with Matthew. And I want to show this one because that's the woman who breaks, breaks down and cries and brings the alabaster jar of perfume. That was a healing moment. The sinner with a reputation in that town, is weeping at Jesus' feet. And he says, do you see this woman? Of course they didn't see him. They saw a sinner. They didn't see her. He was the only one that, that really saw her. And he says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word saved is also the word healing and salvation and wholeness. And I'm sorry, and, uh, healing and salvation. And the word peace is shalom. So you have a woman who's marked by a past, probably trauma, loss, and she's crying most likely for gratitude for what Jesus has done. And Jesus recognizes that, what, that something's happened with her and he declares her as a daughter, number one. Two, that she's been saved and healed. And three, she can walk in shalom. That's healing. It's like when the, the fairs, uh, sorry, when, when John and Peter are at the gate beautiful and they see the paralyzed man that was there for 38 years and they say, I don't have silver and gold, but what I give you, I give freely in the name of Jesus, walk. And the man walks, but he doesn't just walk. The scripture wants you to know he, he just started praising God and skipping. His ankles were made strong. He couldn't walk for 38 years. Then he starts skipping. The only reason you skip is because you're probably full of joy. 
Do you see through the lens of the healing ministry of Jesus? It's all over the place. You just got to look for it. You got to see that God is interested in the whole person. Jesus is interested in your emotions being restored. He's interested in your mindset and your brain chemistry, the neural pathways, the neural, the biological path, the the pathways in your brain that have been formed from a lifetime of self-hate, of abuse and trauma, he can restore. He can heal. He can can heal the brain chemistry as easy as he heals cancer, as easy as he heals broken bones, as easy as he heals your anxiety and depression. He wants this for you. Interruptions. I could go on on all the different things that he does, but all of these reasons have shaped our lack of demonstration of Jesus. We could talk about fear. We could talk about fear of man. We could talk about what happens when he doesn't show up. We could talk about, I don't know how to pray for healing, which you won't have an excuse after today. Um, All that to say, what should our expectations be of the healing ministry of Jesus today. Now I know there's a lot of abu- uh, there has been a lot of abuse in the healing ministry in the church. Has it not been? And and I get it. There's there's a lot of people that will f- it, there's a lot of abuse in every church. Period. Okay? Let's just get that clear. Across the board, denominations like, "Oh, forget the Catholic Church," but then look at what happened with the Baptists. Look at what happens in these charismatics um mega churches that have missed it, that have missed the point, that have abused the power, that have abused the finances, that have not lived with holiness and integrity, and they haven't honored the presence of God. They make a mockery. They make it a show. They make it, I get the abuse, but what should our expectations be based on scripture? Here's what I think. The ministry of healing is ordinary and normative, and to be expected as disciples of Jesus here and now, but it doesn't always take place. This is all of my theology in a sentence. I think this is the most, the healthiest theology of healing today, that it should be ordinary and normative. In fact, I would like to call this sermon, Make Healing Great Again. No, just kidding. (laughs) I don't mean that. Make healing, make healing ordinary again. Make it ordinary again. Make it normative. I'm just testing you. All right, I'm just seeing where you're at. We're going to have some conversations this year. It's getting hot out there. When we, when we politicize a hurricane, when we get angry at each other for the dumbest things, we're going to learn how to be disciples of Jesus in a political season this year. I promise you that. We will unite around Jesus. And things matter. There are really important things upon us. As, as 1 Timothy 4, and, and the Spirit clearly says in later times, people will believe demonic ideology and theology. It's clearly that. But we're going to keep Jesus centered. And we're going to love each other through it. We're not going to divide. Now, moving on. Make, let's make healing ordinary again. We have to live in this now and not yet tension. All right? So what do I mean? We've talked about this. The kingdom of God is now and it's not yet. I have prayed for people who have been healed of cancer diagnosis, of tumors in their body that disappeared. I've seen bones healed. My son needed surgery on his elbow last year. He fell 
hiking and had to get stitches and they said he needed surgery and he was going to be in a cast and within two weeks he had no cast he was completely healed that was a miracle I had Susie who's up here come to me after she said she felt like God was supposed to pray for me when I had a I had two torn ligaments in my leg and I had to preach in a boot at Easter because at a men's retreat I broke I tore two ligaments and they said I wouldn't be able to walk a 5k in six months and she prayed for me and by that was a Sunday and by Tuesday I was running again to the point where the doctor called the entire, all the nurses in and said, this is a sign of Jesus' resurrection. <laughs> I, I, these are testimonies I've experienced in my family. I've seen God heal depression. I've seen him take away crippling anxiety and suicidal ideation. I've seen him heal bodies and broken bones and brothers and sisters. I've also buried friends. I've also been in hospitals and the next day they were dead. That's the now and not yet. We have a theology of suffering. We've talked about this. We know healing is possible and it's normative and we should expect it and we should pray for God's healing until they die. And then we process the grief of their loss and the death. We can hold those intentions. Does that make sense? Why doesn't God heal? I don't know. Please be okay with mystery in the church. Please be okay. Whenever you ask a question why, you're going to get frustrated. We just have to be good at being hopeful and expectant with, with uh, gentleness and love and faith and be able to grieve loss and walk with people in their grief over a long period of time. That's what I mean by now, not yet, especially in the local church. I was writing about grief this week because my spiritual father, Don, passed away last year. And he willed to me his library, which was his most precious possession, his wife said. And I sat in his library this week, weeping, with so much gratitude, so much gratitude and so much loss. I can't tell you how many times I would have called him in the last couple months to talk about what's God, what God's doing here, talk about the theology we're writing and the things we're doing. And so we, we, I just all just say we're not a place that doesn't know what to do with loss and grief and death and sickness that stays. My kids are literally sick as I'm teaching on healing ministry of Jesus. We live in the now and not yet. Are you guys okay with that? Okay, a couple of things let's get through and then we'll close. I'm over. We're good. You guys are fine. 9 a.m. Okay, I'm just gonna, so how do we pray for healing? How do we pray? I'm just gonna, number one, you need to know that Jesus is our model. There's no formula. Jesus never once, never once does he ask for healing. He never waits for healing to come. He, he commands healing to come. He doesn't claim it. He speaks with authority over bodies and spirits. Jesus had compassion. He saw faith. He touched one person. He commanded another one. One time he spit and made mud in the ground and put it on someone's eyes. I'm not saying we should do that. I don't think that's it. The point is he's a model and there's not a clear uh, ABC model for how he did it. It's different every time. Number two, I just want you to hear this. Jesus prayed short prayers. You're like, I don't have enough faith for prayer. Look, take some of these prayers and write them down. Take up your mat and walk. That's the longest prayer. I love go. When he raises the dead, it's come forth. Be clean. These are literally the commands and prayers of Jesus. So Jesus, 
uh, and, and so Jesus is our model. And here's what we've learned from the old 1985 vineyard model and tested over the time through lots of people who pray for uh, healing all the time. This is a, a simple way to pray for healing. I'm going to use someone as an example. For example, let's say in a moment we're going to say we're going to pray for sick people. And there's a word of knowledge about somebody who has um, just a really distorted face. John, would you come up and be that person real quick? I'm just kidding. He doesn't have that. I got you. This beautiful man right here. All right, so what you do is you locate the sick person. So I just did. And then you, this is what we're going to do. I want you to practice. Like when you go out, I'm giving you a clinic. I'm activating healing ministry. It doesn't have to be awkward. It can be real simple. John has a cast and you go, hey, um, can I pray for you? Yes, you place your hand on their shoulder. Come over here, John, so I can read my notes. Uh, so I'm going to give you a prayer. This is our prayer. Locate the sick person and place a hand on their shoulder. Can I just say, don't put it anywhere else unless it's a broken wrist. You can say, can I touch your wrist? If it's anywhere else, we're not going to do that, okay? Does that make sense? <laughs> broken leg, you can touch the leg, depending on how high up it goes. Let's just leave it casual, leave it clean. We're trying to create honor and holiness in the church, Okay begin with thanksgiving. Father, I thank you for John. I thank you for your healing power and your love. And then you speak to the condition, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Face be undistorted. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Face be healed. Look at, he already answered the prayer. No. But if you want to get fancy, let's say he comes up for a broken knee. Uh, In the name of Jesus, knee be healed. That's it. That's literally all you have to do. You could say, then you could tell the body what you want to do. Uh, let's say he has um, joint problems. Joints be healed, muscles be loosened, pain leave the body. This is how we pray for healing in this church. John's actually, are you doing a prayer training? Yeah, but you, you need part one. You need part one. So you can't come to part two this Tuesday, next month. All right, go ahead and sit down. Give it up for John. I just love it. So I would teach this, and then I would say what I also do, by the way, is I pray against spiritual opposition. How many of you know that some things are demonic? In fact, I'm just going to tell you what we talk behind the scenes, not publicly, for everyone listening somewhere else, and I want you to know this. Most of the ministry time that we've been seeing is a form of deliverance ministry lately, which I'll talk about in three weeks. So we'll talk about deliverance ministry as a ministry you're called to as well. After that, you, you number four is you ask the person, you're praying for, how do they feel? This is where it takes risk, right? We're like, how do you feel? For zero to 10, 10 being what you walked in with that pain, zero being completely gone. Don't lie to me, be honest. Where is it at? It's still a 10, cool. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, heal. We pray over and over again. This is a simple model. Step five is you, you repeat one through four or maybe two through three. I'm giving you this quick, but the reason I want you to see it is that you can do this. A quick story about our church. We took a, a ministry trip to India where we did a, a equipping ministry for pastors, 500 pastors. We brought a bunch of you. Susie, you were there. A bunch of us were there. There's one guy who was new to our church, new to the faith. He grew up in the East Coast. He was a wrestler and had like a really rough presence about him. But he was new to the faith and he wanted to come. Last minute he comes. And he was a man who uh, was from New Jersey and... Uh, cussed like a sailor and uh, was new to this whole thing. And I'll never forget, I was praying for a deaf person. And I prayed five, at least five times and nothing happened. 
And I'm like, hey, why don't you come over, this guy, why don't you come over and pray for my friend here? He's, he can't hear out of his ear. So he's like, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, okay, well, just repeat after me. Uh, ear, he's like, ear, open up. He like says, ear, open up. And the guy freaks out, puts his finger in his ear. He, he, he looks at the translator, talks to him, and then he takes off running. And I'm like, I'm like, what happened? He's like, oh, his ear opened. He can hear now. He was born deaf in that ear. And I'm like, I'm like freaking out. And the guy who was praying was like, what just happened? (laughs) And in that moment, I was like, bro, I was like opening it, right? I was doing all the work first and you got the, (laughs) I don't know how this works, but I was was trying to get it. (laughs) That night, he calls back home and tells a story. And I'll never forget overhearing what he says to his wife. He's like, he tells the story. He's like, babe, this Jesus blank is real. (laughs) And the one message I have for Garden Church is this Jesus blank is real. It's for you. Should we pray? Okay, so we're all going to pray together today and then we'll have the worship team come up. If you're sick, if you have depression, anxiety, if you have physical pain in your body, could we just pray for you? And we're not going to have you come forward. We're going to have you stand up right now. Just stand. There's a lot of us. Come on, let's just practice what we just preached. Just stand up. There's a lot of us. If you desire healing, the whole person, anxiety, depression, sickness, ailments, you've been given a diagnosis, you can't sleep at night, you have a relational strife, just stand up. All right, stay standing. So good. All right, 9 a.m. ministry team. Can you guys all stand up and go and place a hand on our brothers and sisters real quick? And we're going to wait for a few moments and then you're going to practice. And hey, those of you that stood up for prayer, don't, we're not going to start. Keep the lights up real quick. Sorry about that. I didn't tell the team. Hold on, keep the lights up. Let's just do it this way. I want you to pray for a few moments and do those steps. Put the steps on there for me if you can. And here's what you're going to do. After you pray a couple of times, Ask them how it feels. And if you stood up for prayer, do not be nice. (laughs) Be honest. It's still a 10. That's okay. But if it goes down to a four or five, it goes down to seven, let's honor the testimony of Jesus. All right, go ahead. Start praying. Lord Jesus, we just release ministry right now. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to Garden.Church. God bless you.